All right. Well, all right. Good morning. Good to have you here. Thank you for uh, joining us on this fine morning. Um, we are we are super glad to be with you. Uh, I, I I shared with a few people. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, privileged to be able to uh, share uh, out of the word with you. Um, I will say that I'm a little conflicted uh, because I'm a little torn. I'd I'd almost like to be up on the hill hearing uh, Pastor Brendan Lewis uh, <laughs> this morning as well. He's speaking to the youth this week, and he is a uh, wonderful. Uh, man, young man, man of God, and a speaker. And uh, I encourage you if, you, if you want to slip up there one of these mornings and catch him, I think you'll be blessed. Um, so we are studying uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. We started yesterday. Uh, I do have this many copies of the notes left for, uh, for anybody that's interested. Um, we'll be auctioning these off. All proceeds go to the missions budget. But uh, no. Um, they are um, available, so if anybody wants uh, one, just uh, maybe somebody wants to help me. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, they're also available electronically on uh, the Psyker website as well as the Psyker Facebook page. So if you if you don't if you don't oh you've got two. Wow, thank you, Joanne. So they're there electronically if, if you want to look at it on your device or you're able to uh, print those. Some people have brought their printed copies off as well. Uh, later today, uh, sometime later, <laughs> we got two left, wow. Jesus is multiplying them. Later today, uh, I'll have a table probably in the back with uh, all of our books on it, um, but also brought a quantity of the books um, on this. This material is in this brand new book uh, called Torchbearers. And uh, these are available as well um, if you'd like to see me afterward or uh, see us at the book table sometime um, this week. So all, everything that we're covering this week, we're not able to cover everything. We only have um, seven sessions together, um, but um, all of it is contained um, in chapters in this book. Uh, we will resume the study on Wednesday morning after Missions Day. Uh, we would be reminded tomorrow, Missions Day, a uh, very important day, very exciting day for us. And I really... Uh, as much as I can in, in, in the name of Jesus, I'd urge you to be in here tomorrow morning at 9.30 when um, Brandon Kuba will be uh, sharing in here. And I'm really looking forward to that very, very much. All right, so uh, let's pray together today and then we will begin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for um, the testimony of the word. Thank you for a living word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit taking what is of you and making it known to us, just revealing and, and going deep. And as we talked about yesterday, uh, we invite the word to do the work in our lives today, the sanctifying work, the deepening work. Uh, we invite you to bring light to us, expose our lives, expose our, our hearts, expose all of us for what you'd like to do in us. Um, as we look, continue to look today at the testimony of this man that is nearing heaven, I pray that you would give us eternal eyes to see what really matters, what matters to you. Um, and may we just uh, run this race. Uh, may we be the bearers of the torch in our day. And we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, yesterday we looked at verses uh, 1 through 5, which is the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. We discovered as we looked yesterday that Paul is warning part of his discipleship of Timothy. Uh, I don't mean to be, be redundant, um, but this is a relational letter. 
This is not a doctrinal letter at all. This is not a, uh, oh, well, that's nice. That's cool. Anyway, so this is not a doctrinal letter. This is not a um, uh, pastoral instruction letter like the first letter was. This is just discipleship. This is a father speaking to his son, hands on his shoulders from a thousand miles away. A thousand miles away, hands on the shoulders, looking him straight in the eye and saying, here's what I want to share with you from my heart before I depart for heaven. And so it's very heartfelt, very deep, and it's all relational discipleship. So first two chapters are just a lot of that call to that. When he gets in chapter 3, one of the things he feels impressed about is to warn him about some, what he calls perils in the last days, perilous times will come, he says in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, which means there's going to be dangers to Timothy's life, not just physically, but spiritually. And there's going to be these threats to the church. Because isn't it true that even to this very minute, we are in a spiritual battle? Amen? Amen. We're a spiritual battle. We're going to talk about that some this week as we look through this. We're in a spiritual battle. He's, even at the end of chapter 2, if you, the, the last verse of chapter 2 says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. So there is an attempt to snare us that would go on even during this encampment and even today. And so he's warning him. And so what we looked at yesterday in those verses was, were these warning signs. He lists uh, 19 different things that are just warning signs to reveal, to expose, and to alert this underlying problem of self-centeredness that is in the world, but even, even more uh, importantly is trying to cre- creep its way into the church. Now just for sake of time, um, because we don't have enough days, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 10 this morning, what he does in verses 5 through 9 is he just elaborates a little more on those who are being pulled into the direction of the world. And that's happening today, isn't it? The, the, there's a strong allure of the world and sometimes the church, and we're seeing this in churches in America in these days, not every church obviously, but some or even many churches in America are getting pulled by the allure of what the world says we should be. And we've heard that preaching on that already. We heard um, last night, Bert talked about how there's sometimes a, a fear to speak the truth. There's this, we don't want to upset anybody, and there's what he describes in verses 5 through 9 is that direction away from truth, that there's this strong direction. He's saying, Timothy, you don't take that direction. Stay on the road of truth in your life. So after kind of elaborating a little bit more on that, some of that misleading or misdirection that happens, he comes to verse 10. And I'd like to read that now. He says, but you, after describing all this misdirection and misleading that's happening in the church, even in Timothy's day, he says, but you, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You might notice that right at the beginning of this, after he describes these, this misleading that's happening in, in his day to be aware of, you notice the first words of verse 10 are what? But you. And that's an affirmation, again, that there ought to be a difference. This goes without saying, but there ought to be a difference between the church and the world. Amen? 
there ought to be a recognizable difference between Christians and those who aren't followers of Jesus Christ. And particularly when we talk about us as holiness people, there ought to be a difference, a marked difference, a, a, a dem demonstrable, obvious difference in our lives between, from, from, from us who are walking in Christ and those who are not. Unfortunately, sometimes the stats don't always prove that out in the church. Sometimes the stats of the kind of things happening in the world kind of look sometimes the same in the church. And Paul's saying, but you, contrast. And then what he does is, I really like this, what he does in verses 10 and 11 is to kind of show Timothy the contrast from what he just was talking about, those who are going in this other direction, this worldly direction in the church. He kind of gives testimony. So verses 10 and 11 are Paul like something of a little bit of testimony. Now, I don't know about you, I love testimonies. Don't you like testimonies? I like testimonies. We like testimonies. One of our favorite Sundays at our church in Nashville is um, Baptism Sunday. You know, you've got these new believers, and before they're baptized, they, they have their testimony read. That's an exciting day, isn't it, to hear testimony? I like to say, though, there's only one thing more exciting than the testimony of new Christians. Only one thing. And that's the testimony of old Christians. That is, those of us who... We're saved, but God's doing a brand new work in our lives. Isn't it exciting when we can come to camp meeting and say, thank God for what he did in my life back in, for my, in my case, 1985. And thank God what he did in my life back then. But thank the Lord for what he did in my life anew this year. Anybody want a new testimony this year? <laughs> Be able to go home and say, go home to my home church and say, I want to tell you what Jesus did in my life this week. And that ought to be the case all the time, right? So Paul's testifying to Timothy about his own life. So what he does is he lists some things that Timothy has, quote, followed. He says in verse 10, you have carefully followed. And he lists some things that Timothy has witnessed in Paul's life. You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. But here's what's interesting about that list, really interesting. In the Greek, in the original language, in front of each of those items is something called the definite article. In English, the best uh, equivalence we have of the definite article is the word the, T-H-E. So in the original language, it would sound like this in verse 10. But you have carefully followed the doctrine of mine, the manner of life, the purpose the faith, the long-suffering, the love, the perseverance, the persecutions, and the afflictions. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Why would he add the definite article? Because here's, here's what that says. The things that Timothy has witnessed in Paul's life are not abstract. They're not theoretical. Timothy, you know, sometimes we've talked about faith and long-suffering in an abstract way. You know, we've, we've theoretically talked about the concept of faith and love and purpose and long-suffering and perseverance and doctrine. We've talked about those things in a hypothetical, theoretical, conceptual way. He's saying, Timothy, when you followed my life, you've been with me. And by the way, I don't, I don't know if you realize this is a long-term relationship, right? Paul and Timothy goes way back. My best calculations are that this relationship was anywhere from 17 to 20 years in length. You get to know somebody pretty good in 17 to 20 years, right? 
Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey, maybe. We don't have record of that, but when he was in Galatia the first time on his first journey, maybe met a young, very young Timothy. And then on a second journey, when he stopped in Lystra, Timothy's hometown, that's where he took Timothy with him to be circumcised, and then he took Timothy with him on his journeys from that point on. And that was 17 years before the writing of this. So I'm, I'm saying anywhere from 17 to 20 years. And he's saying in that span of time, Timothy, you have actually seen my life, not in an abstract way, up close and personal, traveling with me, being in my presence, watching my life, good times and bad, day and night, sickness and in health, everything going on, you've actually seen concretely. So when I'm talking to you about, Timothy, the, these things, my testimony, it's not some idealistic, hypothetical testimony. It's the real deal. Do you believe this morning that what we talk about at this camp and this holiness thing is more than theoretical it's real that Jesus can do in our lives. This holiness message is not some pie in the sky. That's, you know, we get accused of this. You know, you holy rollers. Have you ever been called that? You know, you holy rollers, you're into this holiness thing. And you know what? That's a nice ideal. But nobody is going to experience that till heaven. That, that's a nice ideal. That's conceptual. That's some nice, you know, wonderful thoughts. But the message of Scripture is the whole New Testament portrays this message that it's not just some ideal, it's real. It's the real deal of what Jesus can do in our lives in the here and in the now. So that's why Paul can be so bold to say, Timothy, you followed, you've, you followed these things in my life, right? And that's why, like in other places in the New Testament, like you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 4, he can say things like, um, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 4, I urge you to imitate me. Watch my life, because you've seen the real deal in my life. For this reason, I sent Timothy, he's saying to the Corinthians, for this reason, I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son, Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. In other words, if you watch my life, you're not going to see somebody who has it all together, obviously. No mistakes ever. But you're going to see somebody who Jesus is doing the real deal in my life. So that's why this concreteness about this. So here, here's the deal. From death row, from maximum security prison death row, Paul is testifying that Jesus can really do these things. Jesus can make his life and his holiness a reality in us, not just in heaven, but in this lifetime. Would you agree with me this morning that that is a foundation of our holiness doctrine? If we don't believe, if we don't believe that holiness is a possibility and a reality in this lifetime, then we might as well just say, well, forget about it and we'll wait till heaven. Paul is saying this is a reality in this lifetime. Now, he's in process for sure, as we said, right? Does everybody agree Paul's still in process too? Even to the end of his life, he's still growing, which is encouraging to me. If Paul can still grow, so can I. If Paul can say in Philippians, I have not yet arrived, but I am pressing on, so can I. Now, that, that's an important part of our holiness doctrine. Everybody, you're familiar with our doctrine of sanctification, right? Everybody, right? Our doctrine of holiness. Do we need to review that? Okay, so John Wesley, if you take John Wesley's 
uh, doctrine and, and his teachings, he calls the whole journey the order of salvation. From God's work in your life before salvation until heaven, Wesley would call this whole journey the order of salvation. So at first, his work in our lives in provenient grace, right? God was at work in our lives before we ever knew Jesus in provenient grace, right? God was at, and so take heart this morning. If you have a loved one that you're praying for, God's provenient grace is at work in his or her life, amen? Okay, provenient grace. So then when you respond to him for that first time, we oftentimes call that salvation, but Wesley would call that initial sanctification because his holiness has begun in our lives. Because when you receive him and accept him that in that moment, crisis moment of that first moment, I say yes to him, and I am justified, I am born again, that's holiness begun, and I am adopted into God's family. Y'all with me so far? I should have charted this, I'm sorry. But then we often realize, and the New Testament teaches, that even though I have given my life to him, and, and I have surrendered to him, and I have a relationship with him now, and I've been justified, born again, and adopted, that there can still be an inner struggle of the heart because of that self-centered nature we talked about yesterday, right? So there can be a, almost a battle or a civil war within with almost a, a heart that's kind of being torn two ways, right? I, I want to serve the Lord, but then sometimes I'm drawn back into my heart just kind of wants to, my motive is sometimes to my old ways, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, I, and I love the Lord, I, I'm thankful for my salvation, and, and I'm walking with the Lord, but then sometimes I maybe go back to maybe some old things in my life, and then I feel convicted because the Holy Spirit convicts me, and then I go back to him, and I, and I repent and ask forgiveness, and he is gracious to forgive us, amen? First John 1, 2, we have an advocate with the Father. He is gracious to forgive us, right? We have forgiveness. So he forgives us, and then sometimes my, because my heart is not resolved yet, there's that that battle within, that self-centered nature, still carnal nature. Sometimes I'm drawn back into maybe old ways or old, and I'm sorry, Lord, and I repent, and he forgives me. And that can, but we believe, and Wesley would, would teach, that there is a second crisis moment that can happen that we call entire sanctification, that he can give us a perfect heart. Amen? A perfect heart. That I can, there can be a full consecration, a death to self, a complete surrender where he can transform purify my heart motive that gives me a heart that is completely for him that is no longer a back and forth no longer a foot in each canoe which can be really painful or no longer kind of a kind of a two-way kind of a thing which way I don't know sometimes sometimes not but it can give me a heart that is all for him all the time my heart is only ever for him with him to say yes to him like the song we sang I'll say what yes Lord yes to your will and to your way, I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, that's what entire sanctification can do. Y'all with me? That's what we believe. That, that's holiness doctrine in a, in a nutshell. Entire sanctification gives you a perfect what? A perfect what? Say it with me. A perfect heart. Did you ever notice that you can have a perfect heart and the rest of you is still a mess? Anybody still a mess? Are you less a mess than you used to be maybe? That's why sanctification is also a process following the crisis, right? So I don't stand up from this altar 
in a second moment of surrender, a second crisis moment. And by the way, there has to be that. It's, it's a, so it's not either or, process or crisis. It's both and. So I don't stand up from this altar and I was entirely sanctified and I surrendered and death to self and I am all in with you, Jesus. Thank you for purifying, perfecting my heart motive towards you. I don't stand up from that altar and all of a sudden I am a model of perfect humanity, Right? No more mistakes, no more nothing. I, I have perfect attitude, perfect thought process. I never make a mistake ever again. I'm just this shining example of humanity. No. He perfects the heart, but then he takes a lifetime to work that out in the rest of my life, doesn't he? Is that right? Oswald Chambers said holiness is working out what God has worked in. So he perfects the heart, but then I constantly just surrender to him to let him keep working that out in the, all the areas of my life. And, and I, I, since I was with you last, I think last time I had like 1,060, I'm down to about 1,010. Now, things Jesus is still working on in my life. And aren't you glad he doesn't tell you all at, all at once? If God rolled out the list of all the things he needs to still sanctify in my life, now, perfect heart, right? perfect heart. But all the things he needs to sanctify, attitudes, sometimes thoughts that you have, sometimes maybe the way you spoke about something, all those things. If God told you all at once, you'd fall over dead, right? I'd just pass right out. But isn't he gracious that one thing at a time, right, perfect heart in a crisis moment, but then one by one, he just kind of reveals things to you. Do you ever have this happen, that God reveals something, and he says, hey, you know what, that attitude you just had towards that, that, that was not of me. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. Thank you for showing me that. And I repent and I surrender to that and God starts working on that. Praise the Lord, right? And then he works on something else. <laughs> you know the way you talked there? Thank you for showing me that, Lord. And I surrender that. Would you please sanctify that area of my life? And he does. And then he works on something else. And he works on something else. And he works on something. Isn't that right? Isn't it great to be in process? Isn't it great to be in process? Isn't it great that we don't have to be arrived as sanctified Christians, that we're still in process? Isn't that freeing? Because I, I, I was at a camp meeting a, a couple months ago, and a, a sweet, sweet lady who's like in her, like I think she was 85, and she said, I'm so happy to hear this because I always thought, for my whole life, I thought, you know, I, I, I thought I got entirely sanctified, and then I went home and I had a bad thought, and I thought I lost it. I thought I must not be sanctified. But the truth is, God perfected your heart. He's just working it out in your life. And it's not a bad thing when he shows us stuff. It's a good thing. Amen. Can I give you an example of this? I'm going way off script here, but I feel like this is important. I, I'm probably already shared this, so forgive me if I have. So I did not, I was not raised in a Christian home, and uh, Let's just say uh, our manner of dealing with each other as family was not very godly <laughs> in my home growing up. And so there's a lot that, G you know, if you want to talk about somebody in process, that, that's, that's me. I, I, I have a lot of process need in my life. I still do. So one of the best ways that God sanctifies you is by having children. Did you, you know this? Yeah, children, God. God's sanctifying vessel in my life is, is my children. And so what happens is, when you get married and we have children, God uses that to, as one of the means of revealing things in your life that he wants to still sanctify. Again, what? Perfect heart. You know, with me on this perfect heart thing? 
and then he's working it out in your life, okay? So one of the things God showed me as I was, as Kylie and Carrie were growing up is the way I would speak to them, especially in disciplinary moments. Have I shared this before? So in disciplinary moments, uh, you know, God was like, you know what, you're, you're talking to them like maybe you grew up. I want that to be with grace, right? Like even when it's disciplinary or correcting something, of course, Kylie and Carrie never need a correct. Don't, don't tell them I, you know. so anyway. But if they needed correction, then the guy was teaching me, and I was like, I felt so convicted about that, so regretful, and I just pleaded with the Lord to just work in that, even my words. You know, let your words always be with grace, Colossians 4, 6. And God was so good that over time, he began to make me aware and Barb talked this morning about like him giving you the words and, and just like awareness. And God really began to work in my life in that area. And, and it was really redemptive with Kylie and Carrie as they were growing up. And I'll never forget this one day, they were teenagers. And I was, you know, there was this moment, right, to speak to them about something going on in our, in our family home and disciplinary or direction thing. And they're both looking at me with this look. Like it's not going well. And I'm like, I know that I was graceful in my words. I, I, I know I was gracious. I prayed and I thought and I was very mindful of it as I had been. And they both looked at me and they said, Dad, it's not your words. It's your face. <laughs> it's the way your face looks when you're, you're saying the right words, but the way your face looks. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, for showing me something else, right? And God's been sanctifying my face. <laughs> Isn't it great to grow? Isn't it great to be in process? Isn't there a lot of grace in that? But can I tell you that even though Paul himself was in process, don't be confused. He wants Timothy to know even though you're in process, there can be something definite and real of Jesus in your life on this side of heaven. Amen. It can be the real deal. And that's what he's trying to get across to Timothy in this testimony. That's why he uses the definite articles. It can be real. It, 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 can, it can really, so much so that you can say, watch, if you want to see how Jesus works, watch his life. Do you have anybody like that in your life this morning? Do you have anybody in your life that you can say, man, I know they're not perfect. I know God's probably got stuff to work on in their lives still. But if you want to see what Jesus' work and holiness looks like in this world, watch them. Here's the bigger question. Is anybody here willing to be that? Because I tell you, we need it in our day. Amen? We need a life of holiness more than ever in our day. So it's definite. Now, by the way, isn't that really at least part of God's purpose for holiness in our lives? When we say holiness unto the Lord and this holiness that he wants to produce in our lives, which is really just Jesus, right? Another way of saying holiness unto the Lord is just saying let Jesus work in your life. <laughs> Let Jesus be who he is in your life. Increasingly. Let him work on your face, okay? <laughs> Isn't at least part of holiness because the benefit for others, not just me? It's all about others, isn't it? Now, no mistake this morning, holiness is great for us, right? A holy life is a great life, isn't it? I mean, the world says, oh, you, you, you guys have to... You mean you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that and you guys, you just can't do anything. What, what fun is it? Well, isn't the holiness life a, a healthy, wholesome life? 
When, when you live according to God's word and God's will, aren't we what we were made to be, right? So we're not missing out. We're like experiencing all that he has for us. So it's, it's good. Holiness life is good for us. But really, in the end, holiness is not about me. It's about everybody else, isn't it? It's about the witness that my life can be to others. And I, I, I hope you're okay with me talking to you, but I, I just feel this is important for us in, in, in the holiness church and, and us who have been around a while. All oh, you have been around a while, right? Been around holiness church a while? Been around camp a while? Shouldn't it be true that us holiness people more than anybody are about others? with me? Holiness sanctified people that are being perfected. Maybe this is something Jesus needs to show us, the working it out in our lives. It's not about us, right? It's not about us. I thought I'd get way more agreement on this this morning, everybody. Lord, give us such a heart that we're willing to give up whatever our preferences are because it's about others, not about us. There ought to never, ever, ever be a fight over music in a holiness church. Because you know what? I'm good, right? Jesus, as long as we sing about you, and if I can understand the words, that's helpful too, right? But other than that, anything goes, because I'm okay. Me, I, I've got you. And it's not about me. It's about what is going to reach other people. I'll talk about this more on Sunday. Right? Shouldn't it be that? Isn't that what holiness would be? Isn't that what a holiness church would be? Isn't that what a holiness camp would be? Jesus is not about us. We, it's, hey, it's my church. Boy, I heard this a lot when I was a pastor. It's our church. Or this is our, I haven't heard this, but this our camp meeting. It's my camp meeting, and by golly, when I come to my camp meeting, it's going to be the way I like it. Does that sound like holiness to you? <laughs> my camp meeting, my music, my style, my way, my order service, it's going to be the way I like it or else. That's the opposite of holiness. Holiness would say, Jesus, I'm, I, I love you, and I am so surrendered to you. I've got everything I need in you, so Lord, it's about, not about me, it's about what, what, can we, what can you do to get other people in here? It's about them. What helps them? What leads them? What ministers to them? Amen? Let that be. And if you'll permit me, I'm going to talk about that more on the last day. So holiness is about others. That's why Paul, I know I'm behind here, but I'll, I'll get to stuff. That's why Paul is so focused in this letter on Timothy about passing this baton, this torch, this is called Torchbearers, this series. This is why he's so focused on passing this torch to Timothy. Timothy, it's all about me giving this to you. That's why there's so much in this letter about, you know, Timothy, follow my example. Or um, he's saying all this, you know, chapter 1, verse 13, 14. Uh, what you, the pattern of sound doctrine you heard from me, just keep on. You know, chapter 3, verse 14, we'll look at later in the week. You must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've received them. So he's all about Timothy, all about Timothy, all about Timothy. And so in the verse we read this morning in his testimony in chapter 3, verse 10, but you have carefully followed my these things. That word carefully followed, very interesting Greek word. I think it's there in your notes, just brief Greek lesson. It's the word par akalutheo, par akalutheo. It's a compound word. Um, akalutheo means to follow. 
para means alongside or beside. So literally, you all these years, Timothy, for these 17 or so years, you have followed me right alongside. I love this picture. That, Paul, that Timothy's followed Paul, not from the back, he's followed him alongside. It's the same wording that's used in chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, chapter 2, verse 2, the things you have heard from me, that word from in the Greek is also para, which means alongside. The things you have heard alongside of me. So here's the picture. I always had this picture, you know, Timothy followed Paul. Yeah, yeah, he was his intern. You know, you know, interns do all the dirty work. You know, interns are the, you know, you guys do, okay, Timothy, you stay, wash the dishes. All right, carry my luggage. So Paul's hustling through the airport. Timothy's carrying all the luggage, trying his best to keep up, you know, and Timothy, and Timothy, you know, Timothy is the one that handles the crowds for Paul, you know, hands out autographs. All that, all that for Paul, all that kind of stuff. You know, hey, Paul's busy. Um, I'm the guy who takes care of everything for her. That's not the picture at all. This, this picture is Paul's ministry was like Timothy was right beside him the whole way. Right beside him. Now, I can really relate to this because um, some of you know Carrie traveled with me for like seven years. Uh, we homeschooled, so he went with me like most of the time. And, you know, we are together, like, on trips, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. We're staying together in guest rooms. We're staying together in airports. We're staying together in hotel rooms. Um, we're eating at his favorite restaurant. Chick, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Chick-fil-A is one, but Golden Corral. All right? So we, we knew all the Golden Corrals were on interstates across America. So anyway, when you, tra- you know when you travel with somebody, do you know you really get to know that person? Amen. You know, when you travel with somebody, when you're with them 24-7, you're in the car, you're exhausted, you're on airplanes going overseas, you're exhausted, you know, you're staying in terrible places, whatever, you, you know, you're eating in Golden Crowd. You, you just really, really get to know that person. No wonder, that's what Paul and Timothy experienced together. No wonder Timothy saw the reality of this in Paul's life. No wonder Paul could say, you've, car- you've seen the reality of this in my life because you've seen me up close and personal. I don't want to give you a bad image here, but you've seen me in my pajamas, all right? <laughs> you've, you've, you've seen me at my worst. You've seen me in good times and bad and on planes, trains, and automobiles and all-night flights and red, red eyes and, and golden crown everywhere. You've seen this up close and personal. And isn't that where holiness is really seen after all? In the nitty-gritty of life? Isn't that where discipleship really happens? I mean, camp meeting's great. You, you probably know my family loves camp meeting. My, 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 my kids, my wife. In fact, I don't, I, um, you know, my daughter got married a couple years ago, Michael, and some of you met him last year, and they're hopefully going to be here um, this weekend. Have I mentioned I'm a grandfather, by the way? <laughs> so Michael grew up going to camp meeting as well, and his parents told him his old his whole upbringing, they told him, find a girl who likes camp meeting. Guess what? He did. <laughs> so our family loves camp meeting. But do you know the real test of camp meeting? Do you, do you know the real test of camp psyker? Next week. Next week is the test of camp psyker, not this week. How we are at home how we are with our family, how, 
how we are in the car on the way home is the real test of this. Rubber meets the road, real life stuff. Right? I love camp meeting. My family does more than anybody. But it's only worthwhile if it makes a difference next week. And in January, in the dark months of winter, in between camp meeting, that's where it's lived out. And, and when it can happen there, like it did for Paul and Timothy, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, golden corral, hotel rooms, I mean, sleeping under underpasses. When it can really be real there, when you can really see it there, it's wonderful because there's a couple wonderful results of that. Number one, others, remember it's about others, amen? I'm going to keep on that, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> In Jesus, in the love of Jesus, I'm going to keep on that because it's really vital for the existence of our camp. It's vital for the ongoing existence of a holiness camp, meaning that we get really focused on others, not ourselves. When it can really happen, number one, others can see it really works. Other people can see it really works. And the second thing that's really exciting about it is that other people can see that it really works in just regular people like us. Now, you already know this, but some people don't. Holiness sanctified Christians are not superhumans, right? Everybody know we're not superhumans, right? But think of the perspective of people, new people that come to our church. You ever think what, does anybody remember being a new person at church? Anybody here remember being a new person at church? When I first came, and I'll tell you the story later this week again, but when I first came to a holiness church, I, I was overwhelmed by how amazing all those people were. Like, where did all these perfect people come from? <laughs> I mean, they were dressed so nice. I mean, I came from such a broken situation. They're dressed so nice, and they say the right things, and they're so, like, uh, composed, and they're so nice, and they're so, it's like, and, and when, you're, when you're a person that doesn't know anything, and you come into a church, and you see all the, you know how we are on Sundays, right, at our churches? We're, we're just so, just, you know, nice. It's just so proper and, and and somebody doesn't know anything doesn't know jesus doesn't know anything about the real us right they don't know how we really are like at home and stuff they come in and see that and go i don't have a chance i don't have a shot i can never be one of those <laughs> but isn't it true if they knew the real us that we're just people in process too, it would be so encouraging and so inviting. Hey, listen, we don't have it all together. We're just people that are seeking. We're just people that, hey, we, we may have had a crisis moment back here. We may we, we maybe even had a second crisis moment of Jesus sanctifying our hearts. But guess what? Like Paul, we're still people in process, and he's still working on our faces. <laughs> and he's still working on our words, and he's still working on our attitudes. Anybody had to have an attitude adjustment lately? Had Jesus need to correct your words lately? Anybody had Jesus had to work on your driving lately or anything like that? Don't say anything, Steve. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
isn't it true that if they could see that we're just seekers, right? We're, we're us holiness people. If anybody is a seeker after God, if anybody is just on their knees, if anybody is somebody that says, "Man, we don't have it all together. We are just seeking, and we're we're, we're being perfected," and 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 we're wouldn't that be so winsome? Wouldn't that be so inviting to anybody else? Which is a real encouragement to us in our camp, isn't it? This is an encouragement. This is a call. This is a, this is a I, I don't know how to say this to you this morning. My heart is so full and I have so many things and I, I so apologize. I'm not going to get to everything this morning, but I just can't help it because I, I feel called to, to think about and to consider and to, to really prayerfully ask what it means for us that if we are holiness people that are really in process still, would everybody agree with that? I feel like the scripture and Jesus would say to us, then act like it. Can I say that in love? That if we really believe this, if we really do, if we really do, if we believe this, that it's more that it is a crisis moment of surrender of the heart followed by a process of constantly growing and there's still stuff that God is is there stuff that Jesus wants to speak to us this week in camp is is it is that true anybody think so i mean you know how it is in church um I can't tell you how many times I heard this. Pastor, that was a great message. I sure hope the teens were listening. I sure hope the teenagers were listening. Pastor, that was, that was, that was such a good truth. I sure wish so-and-so, fill in the blank, would have been here today to hear that. And I'm saying, what about me? What about us? Aren't, aren't we seeking? Doesn't Jesus need to work on something in me? At my home church in Nashville, there's two groups of people that respond to the altar readily. And I'm, I'm not going to I don't want to harp on this. I, I desperately prayed this morning this, this would be inviting. This is not condemning this. But there's two groups of people at my home church that respond to the altar readily. Teens and recovery ministry people. People out of recovery ministry, addicts, they're at the altar every Sunday. And teens. I saw it, we saw it last week at Hollow Rock. Those, those teens just, psh, I mean, just, you could preach almost anything and they're, they're going to be down there. They're just, they're there. And then at my church, there's the rest of us. <laughs> Praise God for those recovery people. Praise God for those recovery people. Praise God for those teenagers. What about us? And I'm not harping on us this week, but I, I do feel that God is calling us that if we are, if this is a reality that he's producing in our lives here and we are still growing in Christ, we are still being sanctified, I believe there's a call for us to act like that in our services. Which is so winsome, isn't it? So inviting to everybody else. Man, if, if that, if he's praying and seeking the Lord, then I can too. And don't you agree with me this morning that there ought to be something winsome about holiness? I've just been so gripped by this in this study, and I'll, I'll say it more as the week goes on. 
But I, I've been convinced through this study all the more, holiness is not a finger wagging. You know, you can pick whatever meme you want of some mean-looking school marm, you know, whatever. Uh, it was my first grade teacher, Mrs. B about, who should have retired long before I got there. You know, just that. <laughs> and some people grew up with that. That's what holiness is. But holiness is not that. Holiness, I believe, is a handout. Say, wouldn't you like Jesus to do work in your life too? And we're not done yet. So I pray this week, um, is, is that being seen in me? Is that being seen in me? Oh, Jesus, please make my life. God, please give me the attitude of seeker. I, I am praying most earnestly for our camp this week that, Jesus, you would just pervade this whole tabernacle on the hill, up on that hill in the children's tabernacle in the tiny tots. I pray that you would give us the whole attitude of being seekers after you, that we are truly people in process. There is something that God, this is not a pie in the sky. Holiness is not just a nice ideal just for heaven. Holiness is not a theory and a concept only. It's not just a nice little New Testament message that can help us feel encouraged. It is a reality that Jesus can do in our lifetime. Anybody interested? <laughs> By the way, what I don't have time to tell you this morning is that it's going to be hard. <laughs> Which is why he says in verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Wish I had more time to unpack that, but in essence it says this. You can expect that this is going to be a spiritual battle. You can expect that it is not going to be easy to grow in the Lord. But oh, can I tell you, It's what he'll do to rescue others if we let him work in our lives. So would you, would you join me in praying this morning that even today, as, as Brother Burt preaches this morning and as Steve preaches tonight, give us the attitude of a seeker. May we act like it. May we be people in that process. Jesus, make it a reality this week and when we go home from here. Join me in prayer. Jesus, uh, I, I can't thank you enough that what we preach about at this camp is not just like some impossible dream that we all gather together once a year and say, wouldn't that be nice, and we go home. I, I just want to thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your blood, because of your death and resurrection, because of your indwelling presence through the Spirit, because of your word, you can really, really do something in us through regular people like us. Um, thank you for your grace with us. <laughs> God, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your grace to keep showing me my words, my face, my attitude, and all the things you keep working on. And thank you that I don't have to be ashamed. I just keep saying yes you and I'm praying in your mighty name I'm praying by your by your mercy that today you would just do a work in us through these messages that there would be something so definite in our lives that everybody that knows us can see more and more that it, it's real it's the real deal make a difference in us this week Jesus that'll just shine clear into January and beyond and I pray oh God please pervade this whole tabernacle today with just a spirit of an attitude of seeking 
and willingness to respond. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Bless Bird as he preaches this morning with power and your anointing. Bless Steve tonight with uh, your power and anointing in his preaching and all that goes on today. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Remember to come back tomorrow morning for uh, Brandon at 930, and we'll see you in a few minutes.